since 2008, Marvel Studios has brought us over 10 years of cinematic blockbusters, and nothing will ever be the same. Can we, as mere mortals, prevail? Join us to find out. Peter Melnick, graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. True believers, the next chapter begins with another episode of The Marvelists. I have to ask you a couple of questions. What can you tell me about vampires? They exist. First, he faced their gods. Then, he battled their demons. But all that was only the beginning. He's come back. Vampire final solution. You can't win this war alone. Who the hell are you people? My father meant for us to help you. Whistler's daughter. What the hell makes you think you know about hunting vampires? Just for starters, I used to be one. There's nothing stopping them now. It's me. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of discussing the episode that we have today, we want to tell you people at home how you can get a hold of us on social media. How? Well, first off, go on Facebook at facebook.com slash... The Marvelists. Give us a like-ski on there. Go on my personal Facebook page. If you find me on there, you know, whatever, send me a friend request. Eddie also is the same. Send him a friend request. Congratulations. Exactly. If you find him. <laughs> if you don't, go on with your life. It's okay. It's true. I mean, I, maybe I want more friends, Eddie. You can't have enough. Friendship is magic. Friendship is a brand of cottage cheese also. That's, that's, that's accurate. True and good and delicious. Delicious, yes. Also, you can find us on Twitter at The Marvelists. Give us a follow on there. Eddie's not on there. Eddie don't need none of your Twitter chicanery. Hashtag Eddie Wilson wants none of your Twitter nonsense. Shenanigans. And shenanigans, courtesy of Jeremy Bagley. Boulder Dash. You can also follow me on Twitter at Peter Melnick. And I'm not the uh, composer, Peter Melnick, as we discussed in our Daniel Kibblesmith interview. Oh, my. So, he, D- Peter Melnick, the film composer, is a big fan of me because I always take <sighs> the Peter Melnick names on all social media that wow. he can't have. Things you learn on this here program. It's true. Uh, uh, yeah, so you can also follow us on Instagram at... The Marvelous. You can follow myself on Instagram at Peter Melnick and yourself. Eddie9193. Also, drop us a line in our email bag, themarvelists at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters. We'll read them. We'll enjoy them. I think, maybe. I don't know. Well, let's be optimistic and say yes. So, I mean, also. I mean, over 9,000 can't be wrong. Exactly. Over 9,000 Bon Jovi fans, too. That's 100 million. Well, when that four CD set came out. Very. <laughs> so, true. It's true. <laughs> okay, Kurt Angle. So, anyway, you can also. Listen to us on a wide variety of audio platforms. Mm-hmm. You can find us on iTunes. Rate, review, and subscribe. Leave a five-star rating and review the show if you want. Leave like maybe a sentence or two and say, be like, hey, guys, I like The Marvelists. It's pretty okay. I had to turn it off. Five stars. Yeah, that was a good one. That's my favorite review even of all. If like, the best, even if you just make two words, good stuff. Good but is it going to be spelled G-O-O-D or G-U-D? Because there are people who spell good like that. Yes, and have They're a lot on top of the U for crying Ooh, the bork, bork, bork. Not a Swedish chef Ooh. on top of that. That would be kind of cumbersome. Not Cumberbatch. Or cumbersome. I don't mind. Anyway. How did that turn into a music reference? I, I was trying. I was it's going just, into Temple um, of the Dog for some reason. Indiana wow. Jones and the Temple of the Dog. No. Courtesy no. of Trevor, uh, Trevor Lynn. Didn't make it. Also... <laughs> also you can be able to listen to us on SoundCloud, 
Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, I think like Podbox and stuff like that. Just like a bunch of different podcasting RSS Podbox? apps. Yeah, there's like a lot of stuff like that. What happened to the very first one that was out there that I think you told me about with the previous podcast? Was the, it Podomatic? Uh, Podomatic, yes. Yeah, that was when we were under Podomatic for my other show. And yeah, yeah Podomatic was a garbage provider. I do oh. not recommend But they were them. a pioneer, weren't they? Maybe they, they were, were early Yes, in they the had game? a pie in their ear, yes. Oh, oh. Well, if it's lemon, I'm all there. No, it, no, it was like it was uh, boysenberry. Yeesh, okay. Also, you can be able to listen to this show on Spotify. Yes. So, in addition to listening to a lot of music on your streaming service of Spotify, you can listen to us. So, in between listening to music, you can listen to me poorly sing on songs, and Eddie Wilson just you know verbally shake his head. It's kind of fun. Yeah, and visually for him at least. But uh, singing, mm, that would be a rarity. It's not karaoke. It's not the same. Say what, karaoke? need an audience for that. I just referenced an MTV show that no one remembers. What was it? Say what, karaoke? Oh, yeah, I think I may have heard of it, but... These are the incessant puns that people at home cannot get enough of. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Also, you can be able to listen to this show with Stitcher, and when you use that Stitcher app, yeah. you can also listen to the show, once again, going back over to Stitcher, with the Stitcher radio app, and you can actually upgrade to Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com slash premium and using the promo code at checkout. Marvelous. And with that, you get a free one month of Stitcher Premium. And when you use that free one, th- free one month of Stitcher Premium, that's easy for me to say, you can be able to help support this show because we get a kickback and it helps go towards the show. And as you can tell with the different sound quality, that's very prevalent. So thank you for all the help that we've gotten so far. And more to come, I guess. Maybe. Hopefully. Yes. Mm-hmm. But with Stitcher, and you upgrade to Stitcher Premium, after the free one-month trial is over, it's only four ninety nine a month. Four ninety nine. That's chump change, Eddie. You can find that in your couch cushions or something. Yeah, but I'm pretty good with my change, so it doesn't usually land there. <laughs> So, I mean, well, now when I, you know, go upstairs, I'm just going to throw a bunch of change out of my pocket into your uh, couch. Oh, fine. Free free money. Easy money. Free money. Mm -hmm. But the thing about Stitcher Premium is you can listen to a ton of content, including Kevin Smith's archives through Smodcast, you know, Hollywood Babylon, Fat Man on Batman, of course, the traditional Smodcast. Mm -hmm. You can listen to the Nerdist archives with a crap ton of audio content with interviews, Earwolf with shows like How Did This Get Made?, among many others. But, Eddie, the big thing, the big thing about it all, Wolverine, The Long Long Night. Night. You can listen to Marvel's foray into podcasting with the dramatic story. It's kind of like, it's not the show serial, but it's very filling, like an actual serial. That was a terrible thing. Well, you know, breakfast is a great way to start the day, and you need your meal in the morning, at least I do. And you need Marvel. In that cereal, I guess I don't. I don't know where I was going. There's a great idea. Well, for, they've had for, they've had them. Oh, that delicious wow. Captain America Civil War cereal. Oh yes, yes indeed. Which, Very good. Which side will you will your taste buds choose? I think I got a box of each and to the taste test. <laughs> we just ate until I was full. They were delicious though. Yes, but but you also mentioned the uh, nerd uh, nerdist. Correct. That's. I don't know if it's a common name or it applies to both the the podcast and also the Facebook page site that I've seen. I, believe, no? I believe so. It does. Okay, because I thought that was under one person. The the Facebook page, maybe. Right. Well, the thing is, name that identified. I don't think, but it's I've seen good content from what I've, including when we that. were referenced on Nerdist. Oh yes, that's right. That was the video portion. Yes, I was just talking about um, some cosplay photo type stuff. Yeah. Well, Eddie, the thing about Stitcher with that, like I said, you're able to listen to all of this amazing audio content. And when you do that, like I said, you're helping support the show. And a lot of those shows, ad-free. Oh, cool. Ad-free, Eddie. Ad-free. Eddie, Eddie Brock. Uh, yes, okay. Eddie Vedder. Um, daughter, don't call me daughter. Eddie and the Cruisers. Man, that was a revelation for me that day. I'm not going to explain to the audience at home why that was a revelation, but that was awesome. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, once again, stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout. 
Marvelists, and you help support the show. So now also, Eddie, we're going to include in this episode an interview you got to conduct with... The real-life Blade cosplayer, who will also say he's he's transcended that, or he's transformed himself into a cos performer. He really takes this role to heart. His name is Devon Thomas. He's from the New York area, Brooklyn, and uh, graciously gave some time, spoke on the phone, and that's all put together, ready to rock at the end of this episode. So yeah, that is going to be in this episode today. Eddie Eddie is the king of the cosplay interview. You, well, working on it. No. Right, now, right now I think I'm the Joker and or the, uh, the Jack of whatever, trade. In the interest of fairness, this is a democracy. We don't have kings in this democracy. See, there you go. So, but but you found a way to be the king, uh, yeah. and it's good and to be you, the king. And you met this cosplay character also at one of the recent cons. I met him at New York Comic Con, yes. and he had like a whole area set up, which was absolutely crazy. Yes, he and also in, I'm not to trying to drop everything from the interview, but he did say that he has been asked whether he should have. Why don't you have a table set up? People come see you, but he'd rather be uh, working amongst the people and meeting people and not being confined sort of to just that one spot. So if it's in the New York area, he's most likely going to be at it. So now let's get into the main topic at hand for Blade. this episode. Trinity, 2004. Blade, Blade Trinity, a movie that we're not going to go into, it, but there's a lot about this movie that you can look online. It was a much maligned film. Very malign, mm. with a lot of production woes. You can look up the stories with comedian Patton Oswalt talking about this, and there's just a lot of madness going on with it. So, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, it makes you kind of wonder why, I guess. But, this is a movie that I thought was okay. Mm-hmm. It did... You see, So, Eddie will like burst out laughing when I say this. It used swear words way too much. Coming from they me, were, well, they were they were prevalent. But I burst out laughing. Yeah, I kind of held myself back, but yeah, maybe they thought that needed to be in there to ramp it up, pull out the stops on the heels of the last two. I, I don't know what the thought process was, but uh, runtime an hour and fifty three minutes by right my reckoning with a Ryan Reynolds uh, voiceover opening. My thing is. Did what? What was it about the? Eh, you go ahead. <laughs> Me go ahead. It's been a, it's been quite some time that uh, this was was watched, and only for the first time. But just to get a general idea that it uh, it begins out in the Syrian desert. Um, right at the beginning, there's an f bomb that's dropped, um, starting in the Syrian desert, and it kind of makes sense now that uh, well, not only with the Ryan Reynolds voice over opening, but but. Um, you know, somebody who doesn't care for the rays of the sun drops the F-bomb and says, F you, son, because they don't really care for it. But when you're in the desert, what are you going to do? It's not going to be cloudy all the time. And in the desert, you can't remember your name. Uh, yes, the America reference now surfaces with a horse with no name. <laughs> and uh, and you get to a um, a warehouse scene that has actually been set up to explode blade is uh, doing his thing that is killing vampires one however turns out to be not a vampire he just says damn because i wish you were my lover sophie b hawkins ladies and gentlemen as portrayed by peter melnick don't rate review that at all just try to try to erase that from your memory um yeah so the the thing that compounds this problem right here now and puts a bad cast shadow on Blade is that he's killed someone who's not a vampire and it was videotaped. So someone set his sorry ass up. So now we've got the Blade Wanted scenario poster or whatever going on and we find out that Whistler has come up with a new inhaler a a delivery system for for Blade to maintain his um, humanity to keep that uh, as the dominant part of his being over the vampiric tendencies, the hunger and let me ask you, with the character of Whistler in this movie, this is his final portrayal, Chris Christopherson's Chris portrayal. Yep. Was there ever a character in these movies that was as synonymous as much as Blade was as Whistler was? As synonymous? 
because he was a big deal in these movies, and like that was one of the characters people always associated with Blade. And to kill him off in the third, if you're going with more of these movies online, wouldn't you still keep him, or is it a whole? Well, look, they were killing him off, I think, from the first one, and then he came back, or never really truly. You weren't sure what what exactly happened. He Whistler had told Blade if that if something happened where he got infected, that he would please kill him, so that no more bad would happen wasn't the case he couldn't do it and here we are in the third blade movie but do you think he is as synonymous though i would say he is honestly you know just having seen these as a casual first time blade movie viewer there's there's i'm i'm getting shades in my head of the the interview that you'll hear later also and how much they did or didn't support the main character but what I'm really getting at is Blade was portrayed as somebody who was a loner, who operated a rebel Dottie. without without anybody else. Pee Wee Herman now? Oh, he lived it. Okay. He digests. Rumbly in the tumbly. Not Jethro Tull. Stop that. <laughs> but I guess, yes, if you had to think a little bit past who else is in these movies pervading or consistently throughout then that whistler has to come to mind yeah um he he truly can't at least the way they're portraying it in the film do do all this by himself and it's it's good that he is in there to help help things along he does some kick butt fighting and you know keeping his end of his action part of it up and i think it kind of worked throughout yeah absolutely all three yeah it's just it feels so weird that they would kill the character off in the third film if at this time oh we're gonna have a fourth movie or a fifth movie you know mm, I don't know if they were thinking that far I mean it's a franchise they gotta like be like oh we gotta have at least Plan B ahead of us well they had to take it maybe in thinking past the first one that you do a trilogy you go three movies and so this is what we wound up with there was something that followed. On the double DVD set that I that I have, but that was not even a, a film. I think that was a straight to cable yeah, movie with a word I can't pronounce. It was the so it starred the rapper Sticky Fingers with a Z at the end, and it was the I guess first two episodes combined as one. It was a you know a hour long pilot or you know whatever long pilot. Okay, that you're yeah, saying it's, was it's after the Trinity. Uh, yes, the Trinity. Okay. It's canon, but it's not, I guess. I don't know. But House of Chithon. No one really cared about Blade, the TV show on Spike TV. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most self-respecting viewers didn't either. So <laughs> it was well, ones that would or wouldn't admit it. So yeah, it was pretty bad. But yeah, as I look back too and see uh, one of the cover shots for Blade Trinity, you do have, of course, the main female lead in Jessica Biel, and there's Ryan Reynolds in an earlier. You know, pre-Deadpool, pre-that green guy <laughs> movie as well. What green guy, Eddie? But he, uh, he, he carried some kind of thing on his ring or whatever. and There was a lamp thing, somewhere. Thing, ring, do your thing? Yeah, something like that. Darkest something, blackest other. Night. Oh, that, that yeah, yeah, yeah that Batman, that, cool. that green guy, Batman. <laughs> exposed to radiation, Batman, jeez. Should have been exposed to a better script. Mm. Am I savage? Yes, just like the dragon. Not but She-Hulk at her beginning, too. Land, maybe? Stop that. True. <laughs> True dat. And legit. But we also get to see, I believe, in be- it was in the opening scene, the main group of vampires. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, go ahead. And it features an appearance by professional wrestler Triple H, the game. I kind of liked his character in this movie. But again... The reliance on F-bombs and stuff, it just didn't gel for me. And I get why they're doing it. It's an R movie. They're going to utilize that R rating. Play that to the hilt. Yeah, but hearing Triple H drop an F-bomb, it didn't feel natural to me. I don't know why, but when when I I was seeing those characters, they're very... Other than Triple H and his obsession with the Pomeranian, there's nothing really identifiable about those characters. That really makes him stand out, shine. Yeah, there's nothing to me other than that. Like, oh, this big tough guy has a cute little doggy. 
the continuing story of vampires and how they meet their doom. Doctor Doom? By Blade. Death by Blade. Yeah, that, yeah, I agree. It, it mostly does it. But they try to do things like the Pomeranian to end, and they bring in the Lord of the Undead himself, Dracula, into this. Wait, Dr. Acula was in this? Dr. Acula, yes. No dot, no separation, except for your pause between those two syllables or something. But, yeah, we we do see some things that are definitely different, and that may stand out as, well, yeah, what about that? What was the significance of, of putting, you know, that into into there? Well, in a, in a strange way, the Pomeranian and creatures of that same species reminded me a little bit of, of Alien, just in the sense of all of them that, that had their mouths split open. I was expecting another smaller one to come out. Just a little bit. Possibly. Just a little bit. That's all you would need. A little bit softer now. You know you make me want to... Scream. Yeah, it's about right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But we do have, at uh, some point, not too far into the film, um, FBI gets involved hailing Whistler and eventually capture and arrest Blade. And <laughs> the question that comes up is, you've been you've killed 30, 40, 50, and I think he says uh, 182. Of, of the vampire population. Quite a significant number and uh, makes you just kind of wonder, like, what kind of world is this that um, this species of people, undead, are, are you know, in in existence in the world today? But, you know, that's part and parcel for at least opening up one of the movies. You know, let me tell you how the real world is. There are vampires out there. They exist. They're more prevalent than we realize. And then there's me. Hello, how are you? And then there's the scene where he eventually gets arrested. Correct. And taken in, and he ends up going into the, I believe, uh, he talks to a psychiatrist? Dr. Oboy. Dr. Oboy. And when <laughs> Dr. Oboy shows up... That's when I can't read my writing. Dr. Edgar Vance. Dr. Vance, that's what I wrote. <laughs> and when Dr. Edgar Vance shows up, played by John Michael Higgins. He actually took me out of it a little bit because I'm aware of John Michael Higgins for his comedic work in shows like Arrested Development, the uh, Pitch Perfect movies, the Christopher, I believe he's in a lot of the Christopher Guest uh, document uh, mockumentaries like uh, Best in Show and hmm. A Mighty Wind. And so seeing him in this kind of movie just really took me out. But he did, for what he was, he was great comic relief in this movie. Because the scenes where he's like, oh, do you pretend to be a vampire and you have the teeth? <laughs> that, where he's counteracting Wes, uh, Wesley's character of Blade, it's just very nice uh, oil and water kind of thing. Like, they both do not work well together. <laughs> right. And it it doesn't work well in a way that it does work well, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Just don't, don't want to think, uh, ponder on that too much. But a comic relief line I thought that came in not too long after that was, and I forgot who said it now, welcome to the Honeycomb Hideout, which to me throws back to the 70s and the, the beginning of a TV commercial for the Honeycomb cereal, which I think is still commercially available. And that was Ryan Reynolds' character of Hannibal King, correct? Yes. Yeah, and good they used Hannibal King as, as a name because that was part of the comic folklore, whatever you want to call it. Now, let me ask you, what did you think of Ryan Reynolds' character in this movie? Shades of Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> Just all the way, you know, the 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 jovial, ball-busting kind of thing all around. And I'm like, yeah, this is this was his Deadpool screen test. Oh, hell yeah. Kind of thing. I'm like, wait a minute. And there were how many years between? And he was a big fan of the character right down to the point where they actually referenced in the comic books prior to 2009 with Wolverine Origins, like a couple of years before, like this was maybe, I think, 2004, 2003, in the Fabian Nicieza run of Cable and Deadpool, they reference him being played by Ryan Reynolds one day. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So they they knew, you know what, let's just make him Ryan Reynolds. And I thought this was, a gr this was great. Like, he was fantastic in this role and much better than a lot of people will give him credit for because like mm. this is this is a solid B movie. Like this isn't that, you know, great of a movie. But 
he's one of the bright spots in this film. It's absolutely, and there's even a, a, a him getting a crap kicked out of him torture yeah. scene, and he's just still cracking jokes. And the thing is, with this movie, a lot of those things were improvised. I believe it, sure, and it worked. And that again shows the strength, the comedic wit of Ryan Reynolds. That you know, we'll see one day in a Deadpool movie, obviously, and then one day we'll see in a Detective Pikachu that I'm excited for. Okay, he's playing the voice of Pikachu. Oh well, good for him. I'm, I'm proud. Yeah. It's one of those movies that I'm going to be a 30 year old man going, "Hide like one ticket for Detective Pikachu, please." Yeah, that's fine. But except now, you don't have to even bother telling anybody. You just do it at the kiosk. That's true. And insert your cash or credit or whatever the case may be, and not even have to utter the the words. Pikachu reminded me that I did see and get a picture with Pikachu. Pikachu. I think not. What this was he like to meet? Not this past. He was very quiet, very big and yellow, uh, six feet tall, yellow Pikachu, but with a big smile. He was happy to see me. Aww. Uh, with him at, in uh, Salem, uh, not this past October. I think it was a year your before cat. that. It was just such a Salem, not the cat Salem, the city in Massachusetts, in the United States of America, on Earth. Yes, in this solar system, the Milky Way galaxy. Yes, and a good candy bar, too. Delicious candy bar. <sighs> and I just... I think the idea of Ryan Reynolds' character in this was a complete knockout. And just really great with what he was going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, let's not forget that Blade gets some good one-liners in there as well to break up the uh, seriousness, the tension of it. I think he had a multi-story superhero-type landing, and then he says, forgot my sword. So, you know, good there. Would you say this is the movie that spawned the superhero landing? Because I don't think I ever saw it in Um, any of the other movies. Like in, mm, you know, the Batman movies. Did they reference? Well, if if they didn't call it that, then maybe you didn't pick up on what it was you were seeing, although you probably knew in your head without saying anything. Hey, superhero landing. Yeah. Who else would do that? Well, others that would follow, but, you know. A little later on, we move into meeting and hearing the name of the Night Stalkers, who start off by calling themselves, I think, uh, rejects from a Saturday morning cartoon. Actually, I want to go back over to the the quote-unquote honeycomb hideout with some of the characters that are in there. Mm -hmm. And Pat Oswalt's character of Hedges, the uh, guy, you know, the tech nerd who has been with many, many women. And... One of the things that my biggest takeaway was he's wearing a Fantastic Four t-shirt. Oh, yeah. And made me think, okay, is this a universe where the Fantastic Four are comic book characters? Is this a universe where the Fantastic Four are actual superheroes and they're just marketing their shit out there? What is this? Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess you could go a couple of ways. They They wanted to incorporate other characters to remind people if they didn't after the first, well, definitely after the first one, that, uh, yes, it's a comic book movie. But, yeah, that's uh, that's exactly right. The big four symbol on his shirt, who he would go on Hedges later to uh, be a character in uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. Yeah. And like I said, that's one of those things that took me out of the movie, but in a good way. Because like, you, you can take me out of the movie in a bad way. It makes me like question things and just like leaves me annoyed. That, on the other hand, I was like, Oh, what are they doing with this? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, it kind of makes you think. Yeah, yeah. And that's where taking a person out of a movie succeeds very, very well. And, of course, there's Jessica Biel's character in the film. Yes, strong leading female here. Danica Talos, character or actress. Played by Parker Posey. Uh, yes, yes. That's, that's the other tough one that, you know, I guess you could say the polar opposite of Jessica Biel, uh, but her character. And and, uh, and and where they say that her fangs are located. And she actually did a lot of stuff with John Michael Higgins because she does a lot of the Christopher Guest mockumentaries as well, like okay. Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, A Mighty yeah. Wind, For Your Consideration, etc. Yeah. So there is that little connection with those kind of movies in this movie that, yeah, just seems out of place, but not really, in a good way. 
out of place. Like I said, the fangs. Do you remember where I'm yeah. going with this? Yes, yes. Woo-woo. That's where they are, down there. Yeah. On her leg? No, inside. <laughs> where the two shall meet. Mm-hmm. Her ass? That front side, you ding-dong. Never mind. Her stomach? I don't get it, Eddie. Okay, fine. Well... Never, oh, that. Oh, yeah, old that. I don't get oh. it. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And I think not too far after that, we. Uh, Her abdomen. We find uh, a, a comic book reference. Literally, I think we see, what is it? Tomb of Dracula. The issue is number 55. Again, that's. Got it. That Oh, you stopped that. <laughs> I have the run. Um, No, I'm sorry. Issue number one. Missing. And a, a, a watered down or not as good c- copy of number 10. I'm sorry. Moving along. Ooh, la-di-da, Mr. Moneybag's over here. No, no, that's the character in Monopoly. That is. He's got that white mustache and tuxedo and top hat. He's definitely older than me. You could rock the mustache, though, I think. Well, how about the Dagon, Drake, and going to the uh, vampire store? (laughs) We're going to the vampire store today. Because we want to get a stock up on Count Chocula. I felt so bad for that girl that she ends up getting, like, she just gets bit immediately. But, like, she's like, this is my job. I work retail. I sell Dracula crap. Oh, I'm going to die today. Cool. <laughs> well, see you later. <laughs> I'm out. Didn't hire me for a longer contract. Yeah. Get into a fight scene, the biological weapon against the vampires and the artificial virus. Uh, hedges and the uh, weapons demonstration he gives. And then, and then, um, let's see, Blade pursuing Drake. Uh, there's a baby toss in there, and I have Coochie Coo has the toss. Now that's that's a, that was kind of a lame uh, comic uh, relief reference, I think. Yeah. Getting back to Hannibal King um, after him getting the crap kicked out of him, he's in recovery, and then there's a a cameo on the TV. It's William Shatner. Oh yeah, with uh, Twilight Zone, I believe, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I. I to be honest, how memorable do you think this movie is? Well, like other than one or two lines, yeah, I think I think you're right. It was it was several weeks that I did see this for the first time. But took even took then, the notes, and now that I'm looking at the notes, it's semi semi foreign to me. Like I should have had another viewing, but not to really get fresh uh, with this. Not really that because you can have a movie and have it be so impactful within the first viewing. And yeah. I feel like this is one of those movies, it doesn't hit that mark. Mm-hmm. For example, when I saw Infinity War for the first time, going back, you know, to the MCU, so much, like within the first minute, the whole, behold, you're going to become the children of Thanos, what, whatever the line was, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Mm, yeah. That was memorable within the first minute. The only things about this movie I truly remember are Sea Juggling Thunder Sea. From Ryan Reynolds, the Pomeranian dog. Yeah, definitely. And you know, but we're up to I think about the part of this movie where you see the blood farming facility, and on the surface, just at face value, right there, it's a little bit like disturbing, maybe because all these people and the line is said, "Why kill your prey when you can keep them alive?" and get 50 to 100 pints in a chemical-induced coma, essentially brain-dead, you know, all this stuff about harvesting and, and keeping the vampire race alive in this in this method, which is kind of gruesome to think about and even gruesome. see. You know, so maybe that's just a passing memory that you want to keep, keep out of your head. Right. I don't know if the the, uh, the songs that were played on the iPod when when Abby and Blade were preparing for battle are somewhat memorable, or why they were selected. But you know, it's it's just composing that part of the film, the soundtrack. What else? Well, I guess they kind of got to wrap things up because we're definitely past the halfway point. We're three quarters into it, and uh, there's an injection or a vial that. Um, Destroys all the vampires on a cellular level, which is probably what they wanted to do um, to to diminish that that race. And 
Drake says, sooner or later, the thirst always wins, talking to Blade, of course, and that the war is never over. And then we go to credits. Pretty much. Blade is on a motorcycle uh, going against traffic. That was kind of striking me a little bit funny. Um, well, he's a rebel, Dottie. Playing playing on the uh, the middle or double yellow line, and, and I think there was a line that said, you know, no animals were harmed in the making of this film. And then the movie has a post credit scene. And it is literally yes. the single most useless post credit scene I, I've I, ever I, seen in a film ever. I kind of thought so. I mean, I think at the end of the first... Of the credits, you know, Blade Trinity, it says word at, at that point of there. And then you get about a 10 or 12 second ending scene with Blade in the car driving and a, a night or a cityscape is behind him. And the, and, then, and then I wrote in parentheses, why? What's what's the significance of that? He's it was still, about as useless. He's still hunting. That's, I guess what that's supposed to mean. He's still out there to do that. What about Hannibal King? What about Abby? It was about you as know, useful as tap dancing shoes at a leper colony. Yeah. You know, no more Night Stalkers. I think some of them had gotten killed off, but uh, you don't hear about that anymore. So it kind of, yeah, fell. Just It fell down, didn't get up. Fell down, went, went boom. No more. To be completely honest, I guess let's just get into our review of it. Yeah. I disagree going through it one more time with the, you know, the summary and everything. It's very banal, very just eh. There's like maybe one or two things in the whole film that I really enjoyed, but otherwise, it's a nothing kind of film for me. And like compare that to number two, which was great. You know, now looking back on an average movie, but like three is just you're trying to replicate something that just no, you can't yeah, replicate. Maybe that. didn't need to be, or it didn't go in the direction that made it. As uh, successful. To say it in simpler terms, you can never go home. And that is the case of this movie for me. Yeah. Two and a quarter out of five. Two and a quarter. It's drifting more towards two, though. Well, I got to be at least halfway there, so I got to be two and a half. But um, I don't know. I guess to get more out of it, like anything movie-wise, you'd have to see it again to try. But it's like, I don't know if I would. Um, Yeah. to to see how it continues along. The general thought of here is Blade. He is the defender of humanity by killing the vampires, uh, perpetuated in a third film, and with these other characters supporting him. And, okay, face value, it's all right. Um, I think it had its time on network TV, and maybe it'll come back again. It's really nothing like the first one, for sure, because that was maybe groundbreaking, if you will. And what started again, as we know, 20 years ago for the first Marvel movie. And they have been re-airing the first one on television quite a bit lately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if we're going out of going out of five, I guess I'm, I don't know, three and a quarter, let's say. Oh, come on. You were going to do, do two and a half. I, I was, that. I know, I know, but I psyched yeah, stay, out. St- listen to your heart. That's a song by Roxette. Listen to your heart, Roxette. Ed Zett. When it's calling to you. So his real review is two and a half, but... <laughs> two and a half butts. Yeah, I... And, and I won't lie. Make a memorable movie, and it is hard to make a memorable movie. It's hard to make those moments that stand out in film. But... Blade Trinity has some really cool action scenes. But yes, so that was good about it. It also had some different costuming especially with the main character's vest, jacket, and so on. And that's one of the highlights that uh, Devon Thomas will point out in his Blade Cosplay interview that follows. So, yeah, it had some good stuff in it. He um, definitely gives kudos to Wesley Snipes for blazing the trail, I guess, in, in perpetuating this character and what he stood for. Okay. So it's got those pluses. The action is solid when it's when it's there. And I don't know really much of how, you know, what you could have done to ramp it up to really engage the viewer more so, to, to have more of a takeaway and, and more memorable scenes. No more Pomeranians, please. But I don't know what other aspects could have come in there. I'm not sure. But, Eddie. Peter. So, yeah, two and a half, or two and a quarter, 
You're secretly two and a half men. And a baby. <laughs> what? But ah. yeah, I think I think now is the time to get into the interview with Devon. Let's do it. Hey, it's Eddie Wilson making another Cosplay Connection. Happy to talk to Devon Thomas. You can call him Daywalker if you've seen him at some of the cons. <laughs> Devon, thanks for talking to us. We appreciate it. Awesome, man. It's amazing being here. Thanks for having me. I don't know that I've seen very many. I've been to a handful of cons here and there, you know, East Coast-wise. I don't know if I've seen too many people who do Blade at all or in any small way that you do, most notably at the East Coast Comic Con I've seen. And unbelievable what I what I have seen. Thank you, man. I truly appreciate that. There's a number of people that do it, but it's a very small number. My approach to the character, I try to be as original as I can while staying true to the form of the character. That's probably a delicate balance to try to walk, and we can get into what makes it yours. So as we're talking, as we've been talking on our podcast about the Blade movies, start us off by um, how it all started for you, your backstory, your origin. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. My backstory with me went in terms with the character Blade. Well, my late grandfather was the one who introduced me to Blade because I was originally a Spider-Man fan. Okay. <laughs> Every day he would pick me up from martial arts school. Now, we going back all the way to like five, six years old. This is to say I'm nothing new to the Daywalker. Okay. About that age, he picked me up from martial arts school. At that time, I was a very keen artist, even at that age. And it was a certain move that the sensei was teaching us. I just couldn't get it. For whatever reason, I couldn't get it. And I took it very hard. And Grandpa <laughs> picked me up from the dojo. And he's like, what's wrong? It's just like this move I just couldn't get. He took me to our local comic book store in Brooklyn, where I'm at right now. He tried to um, treat me to a comic like he did every week when he picked me up. And just for some reason, I just couldn't shake it. We went in the house. He read me. It was a Spider-Man comic book. He read me the book. And I was still, you know, just a little down and out. So he went in the back room. When he came back, he brought Dracula, number 10, the first appearance of Blade. Whoa. <laughs> he puts me on my lap, and we're reading this thing. We were, um, he and I both were huge horror fans. So we're reading this thing, and I'm like, wow, who is this guy? i got to learn more about him. So we just kept digging and digging and kept going, and from there I was set. Yeah, that's a good way to just encapsulize it. I mean, Tomb of <laughs> Dracula 10, boom. If anybody knows comic books, yeah, first appearance of Blade. Where's that comic book? That's my next question. <laughs> <laughs> I have it. I have the number 10. Good man, and well kept. Yes, yes, it's in a plastic, it's well kept. Excellent. Did you progress and get into the Blade Vampire Hunter series and other ones that have had him in it? Anything that pertained to Blade, I tried my best to pick up. But it wasn't until early high school that I decided to pick up the mantle because I went to all art schools. Mm -hmm. I was very good at drawing. I put my characters to the side and I just started playing with the idea of Blade because it never left my mind. And while creating my own characters, I just started to dabble and play what would Blade look like in my world. I live in Brooklyn. So I was like, what would he look like if he lived in Brooklyn? What would the character be like? What would he sound like? What would he talk like? These were the footprints that put me on my path. So what I did was I incorporated what I was already doing and just added that to the character. In art school, we were to create our own characters, and that I did on the side. I just played with Blade, and I just started writing stories. Now, this is before the great Wesley. Shout out to Wesley Snipes, who shows my Instagram page so much love. Wow. You know, who follows me and shows every picture that I post so much love. Before he took on a mantle, I was playing with the idea, just little small here in between, here and there, and all of these things connected. Now let's get into the next thing. So when I got into the world of cosplay, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this thing. If I'm going to do it, I have to do it my own original way because I came into this thing as an artist. Mm. I didn't want to be the traditional cosplayer who just goes authentic and looks exactly like it. And when you have artists, say Luther Vandross, right? Mm-hmm. If Luther Vandross was to sing a song of another artist, he, in return, wouldn't sing it exactly like 
that artists would do it. He would do it in his own way. So that's what I embodied when I came up with it. This is my version of the Daywalker. That's a good analogy. Thank you. When you said Luther doing somebody uh, else's songs, I remember the album he did a bunch of covers on, but you knew it was Luther singing them. You knew they weren't his, but you knew this was his interpretation, his version. Exactly. And that's one of the main things that I learned from artists that inspired me. It's like Michael Jackson, Bruce Lee, Prince. These are the guys that inspired me and wowed me and just left me in awe. Everything that they did, they left their stamp on it. So regardless if they were remaking a song, their stamp was so dominant on it, you knew, okay, that's theirs. And when they did their own thing, there was no escaping that. Mm. So even with my cosplay, I embody all of those things and bring them over into them. What would you say, Devon, how old were you, if you recall, when you started acting out the role and being in the costume and doing the cosplay and, and making, you know, appearances? I've been cosplaying. There's a quiet, un rule. When you cosplay over 10 years, you just say over 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like nothing after that is counted. Yeah. Let's say just before the first Blade came out. Okay, fair enough. Just before then, like high school, like around that time, I was like, you know what? I gotta do it. I gotta do it. Mm-hmm. Because I had all of this art just living inside my mind, and I wanted to push my own characters out that I built. I was like, you know what, let's put that aside and let's take on this mantle because what I see in my head has to be sung. So it wasn't even uh, in recent years that, you know, cosplay has become something that people know what that word means now. A long time ago, they didn't. Mm-hmm. So I don't think no, when you didn't. started, right, when you started, I don't think people did that very much. Not very many people did that. It was only a certain group. When I first got into cosplay, it was, Build your own character and do multiple of characters. So I said to myself, okay, how can I stand out? You know what? I'm just going to bring the character to life through the art of moving it. Yeah. So a lot of cosplayers make their own costumes. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something different, and I'm going to just make my own moves. I'm going to make my own sayings and my own words and stuff like that. So I built a life to this character. So people definitely know you as this character. They do, and and I truly appreciate that. And I tell people all the time, I'm a fan first, and I'm a student of the culture. Then I'm a cosplayer. So then it tells me that the training, the martial arts training that you've gone through and continue to do, makes it original for you in this character Mm -hmm. of Blade. I also want to ask Mm -hmm. about your arsenal, the items that Mm -hmm. you use in this, and if you've had a problem getting into the shows because of that. (laughs) That's a good question. Shout out to you, man. Yeah. Here's the beauty of that. Because I just do the one character, I get known for that. So by the time I get to the door, it's like, hey, it's Blade. Oh, my God, I see stuff, You know, and then people just let you on in on the strength of that. Oh, wow. But I do have everything ready. I have my papers and everything. So the things that you use, though, you utilize, whether it be, you know, at the cons, whether it's do photos or to strike poses or to get into some mm-hmm. kind of um, mock fight sequence. I've seen you at East Coast Comic Con at least a couple of times. I know you've been to that New York. That was a good one. Yeah, I know you've been to New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I think you're instantly recognizable to me, at least. And I, rec- you know, so I see you, and, a, <laughs> and I get that same facial expression when I go to take a picture. So you're spot on with it, and that's great. So what is in your arsenal? What type of items? Can you run down that uh, checklist? Blade is known for his sword which is home to me because that's my favorite weapon. And the side swords as well. And actually the shurikens, <laughs> we don't say weapons, they're tools because the weapon slash tool is, a, is an extension of yourself. So I would use tools that wasn't ordinarily used, like the shuriken. I'm also a firebender. So a lot of times I would like, if you follow me, I would like the swords on fire, or I like the shurikens on fire, just to add my own artistic twist. What's in my arsenal, I love the sword. My take on the character when it comes to his weapons is the double sword, mm-hmm. which we didn't see. That's an original piece. You'll see the nunchucks. Yeah, I love that as a kid. That's another thing that we haven't seen the character use, whether it be the animated series, all three of the movies, and even the TV series itself that aired on Spike. I use the bow staff 
and to challenge myself, I'll use a double bow staff. And Blade Trinity, Wesley Snipes introduced a rope and dart. So shout out to Wesley to inspire in that. Hey, how's it going, man? Sorry, guys. I'm walking on the street, so I'm seeing people in my neighborhood. But it sounds good for background. <laughs> Let me ask, too, then, the nunchucks, did that come about into your repertoire because of the martial arts? That's something that I already learned. That's just one of the things that I could get originality for to add on. I'm a fan of this character. So my whole thing is to add on to it. A lot of times you'll see martial artists, they'll do, when it comes to nunchucks, they'll just use one. I raise the bar and I'll use two. Mm. In some sequences, I might pull out and use three. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. When I use my nunchucks, they're silver. Vampires are known to be allergic to silver. So my nunchucks offer close quarter combat when I'm taking out the suckers. Yes. <laughs> well, the other aspect that raises it definitely up a notch, and I've really just seen it on Facebook because it might be dangerous in other settings, would be using fire. Uh, ah, now that's something that I learned when I lived in Japan. Oh, I boy. lived in Japan for two years. During that time, I was introduced to, um, to cat. That's how you say fire in Japanese. Later on, a very good friend of mine who was my fire performing sensei, Sage Sovereign, she elevated the fire for me. So the fire that I'm using represents the sun. So I immediately just like rip and burn through them. And then Blade 1, one of my favorite scenes where Wesley Snipes, shout out to Wesley Snipes, who paved the way for all of us to do this thing when it comes to the cinematic feature. He came up to him and he was like, I'm getting tired of chopping you up. Thought I might try fire for a change. <laughs> so that sequence is what really did it for me. Yeah. It's amazing how you you know you incorporate that and you live it out. It's really great. You, so brother. you get the uh, you, know, you. you get the shout out all around for there. Tell me about though doing a sequence, a fight sequence, and I've only seen it live mm -hmm. really one time or again on Facebook. And I knew where it was. It was right in front of the uh, Metal Ends Expo Center with Gambit, that character. Yes, my very very good friend Daniel, who I consider a brother. He and I immediately clicked. That was actually all his idea. And if you watch that video in the end, you'll see immediately brotherly love because it came out so good. What we planned to do didn't happen, but what happened came out better than what we planned. So we, <laughs> <laughs> we both just like stopped and laughed, and it was so perfect. We just left it at that. We actually have a Blade and Gambit short film that we're both working on. So you guys be on the lookout for that. Inspired by the comic book, Vampire and the Thief. Okay, that's very cool, because it takes however much time to coordinate. All right, I'm going to come at you this way, and then you do this. So by virtue mm -hmm. of the fact that you don't connect with each other, first of all, is, is a great thing to start with. Mm -hmm. And nobody winds yeah, up on that, the floor. <laughs> that was just a love for both of our characters. He's the real-life Gambit, as I am the real-life Blade. If you're a fan of Blade and Gambit, oh yeah. Yeah, I could tell even by talking to Gambit for a minute from that East Coast a couple years ago, he was really into mm -hmm. it, and he's got the staff, and he's got the cards, and the, the mindset for it. The cards, and even the accent, even <laughs> yes. the accent, just the small subtlety. When I see my brother Daniel, to me, it's like 1990s when I'm coming home from school, and I'm seeing the X-Men cartoon on, mm. or opening that X-Men comic book. He really brings that character to life for me. Yeah. And you, though, for your part, one last thing, is just being able to move the way you do in a fight sequence with Gambit or mm. otherwise, and you not be tangled up in that long black jacket. <laughs> Holy cow, man. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, let's just say that I'm over 250 pounds. You don't look like a lightweight either, so, I mean, the way you're moving, no insult, but it's like, yeah. wait a minute. I got into martial arts at a very young age. I was three years old. Wow. Looks can be deceiving, I think, in that way you do. The way you move, it belies mm -hmm. your appearance. So, to your credit, I give that. Then it makes me wonder if I ever would see you in other than the Blade character. I don't know if I would, first of all, and be able to <laughs> recognize you. But another thing about uh -huh. that is, well, of course, I don't think I've truly seen your eyes because they're covered. <laughs> but your teeth now, your canines, are they, I'm assuming they're, they're real. Or we won't say that. <laughs> yeah. We'll leave that one to mystery. Let me just say that I have a very good thanksmith named Ali, 
You can find his work if you Google Lady Zombie. That's his wife. They do amazing work. They're very comfortable. They'll last a lifetime. A lot of the times I forget that they're in there. And every picture, I have my mouth open. A lot of times I want to close my mouth, but people <laughs> love the fangs. So even though you like, might oh be... God, uh, and then yeah. I'll do a pose with them with my mouth closed because I get tired of doing that at times. Like, oh, no, no, no. Can we see the fangs? So the fangs are way more bigger than I am. <laughs> okay. I'm having the greatest time with this man. The amount of people that show me love from parents to the kids to every age in between that DMs me and tells me how much that I inspire them. Even martial artists in Brazil and Germany, we don't even speak the same language, but people DM you and tell you the most amazing things. They'll say that I inspire them to get back into the dojo or my sword lessons, mm -hmm. my imperial sword techniques that I write on my page. They'll tell me that it inspired them. They lost weight. Money can't buy that. I'm so fortunate to be able to express myself as an artist. Which of the places that you've been at? I know we mentioned a couple of cons already, but if you want to run through some kind of list as to ones that you tend to go to. I play in all the New York conventions. Mm -hmm. New York Comic Con, that's like our Super Bowl. Let me just make a distinction. Mm -hmm. You're going as an attendee. You're not going as somebody people go to see, like, say, you know, with a table or a booth. Am I right? Or do you have... That's a funny thing that you mentioned that. I personally don't have the patience to sit down <laughs> for a booth. <laughs> I've been offered so many times. I'm just a person that's so much full of energy. And I love the people, you know, so I like to get out and meet and greet. I like to be on the floor. But it's still to be remembered that Blade was the first Marvel Comics yes, movie. Absolutely. Yep. Blade started off the new line cinema for Marvel. Blade, Wesley Snipes proved that Marvel characters have a place in the cinematic universe yep. and gave birth to all of that. Let me ask you one more thing and then we'll wrap it up. Of the three okay. Blade movies... Give me mm -hmm. a couple of highlights or your best take on them, what you like the best and maybe not the best if you want to. Okay, let's do that. Wesley Snipes did an amazing job with all three installments of the movie. For me as an artist and then for me as a fan, when you look at all three movies, you get to see three different versions of the costume. and We got to see three different vests. I love that. We also got to see Blade tackle different enemies. Because with Blade, there's no coming back. Yeah. A lot of times in movies, you'll see that the villain rises, and in part two, he comes back. Uh-uh. In Blade 1, he met Frost. Frost is done. In Blade 2, he met the Reapers. He met Nomak. Shout out to Nomak. That was an amazing character. Nomak, done. And then in Blade 3, he met the father of them all, Dracula. Ended him. We also got to see Blade elevate and work with different characters because Blade is a loner. I mean, if you go back to the original writings of the character, he did work with the team. So we got to see that in Blade 2 and Blade 3. He worked with the, um, the Blood Pack in Blade 2. And then, of course, the, uh, Blade, the Night Stalkers. Right, and then Blade 3, correct. He got to work with the Night Stalkers, and we got introduced to Whistler's daughter, Abigail. Right. So just a whole new line. Each installment of the movie gave you something different and added on to the franchise whether it be the comics the animated series the cartoon or again the tv show shout out to sticky fingers let's not leave that out so can i pin you down for a preference as to if you had to rank these three blade movies what's your favorite and then middle and then third <laughs> i'm a huge wesley snipes before the whole blade thing blade one really did it for me okay blade two Villain-wise, really did it for me. Blade 3, the expansion of Blade, did it for me. Okay. So let's say perfectly down the line of 1, 2, and 3. But in layman terms, because I'm an artist, so sometimes I get artsy parts, and sorry, guys. Yeah. Blade 1 was my favorite. I love the vest. I love the field. I love the world. I love the villains, the vampires, the interactions. We got to see his mother, a background story, and yeah. Whistler. We got to see all of those things that embody the character. That feel that Blade 1 introduced us to, we didn't get that 
specific field, so to say, in two and three. So Blade One was my favorite. All right. Now, where else can we, uh, to wrap things up with you, and again, mm-hmm. appreciate all the time you spent with us here, Devon Thomas. Where can we find you on social media if we want to follow along and see what you're up to? You can find me on Facebook at Devon Thomas, D-A-V-A-U-G-H-N Thomas. But you can more so follow me. I'm very interactive on my Instagram page, Legend of the Daywalker. And that's all one word. That's my branded seal. That's my own version of the character. You can definitely follow me there. If you're a fan of the character, follow me and you'll see (laughs) a whole new different world and things that wasn't explored when it comes to the characters. I interact with just about everybody. So you definitely can find me, once again, Legend of the Daywalker on Instagram. And that's Devon Thomas on Facebook. That's great. Our own Daywalker here on The Marvelous, Devon Thomas. Thank you so much for talking to us and putting your own spin. Thank you for having your, me, man. Yeah, making it original. And I don't know about the tattoos. I didn't ask about that, though. So The tattoos, I kind of left that to Wesley. There you I go. I left that one for Wesley. We got you. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll see you soon. We'll see you on Facebook and Instagram. Exactly. You guys can catch me at a con near you. You guys can actually catch me at a stage near you as well, because over the 10 years, I created a lane for myself. I no longer consider myself a cosplayer. I developed a term that defines me more as a cosperformer. So you'll definitely find me at a stage near you doing a cosperformance. Excellent. Thanks again, Devon. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Be safe and keep up the great work. Thank you so much. So now before we go, once again, major, major thank you to Devon for being on the show today. Shout out to Devon Thomas, the Daywalker from Brooklyn. Now, people are probably wondering what is next for The Marvelous because we are not going to be doing movies for a little while. We'll still be doing the show, but we're going to be doing other things. We're going to be doing surprise episodes, just different stuff that you, the audience, are going to definitely enjoy. And... We're not going to tell some of the things we have up our sleeves right now. We've discussed them in private. We've discussed them with our consultants and our audio engineer, uh, John Sherburn. I hope I pronounced it right, John. If not, you know, edit my audio and make me sound like an ass, I guess. Nah, he can do that perfectly. You stop that. Stop what? What? I didn't say it. But the next episode is going to be an odds and ends episode with interviews that we've conducted throughout the year that we just didn't have the time to upload. So when you hear them, you're going to hear them. We'll let you know. So. We'll be watching. Before we go, how can people get a hold of us on social media? I'm glad you asked that. I sure am, too. But you can go on Facebook at Facebook.com slash. The Marvelists. Give us a like ski on there. Go on the Twitter machine at The Marvelists or at. The Marvelists. Follow us on at The Marvelists and myself at Peter Melnick and hashtag Eddie Wilson wants none of your Twitter BS. No, don't do that. I mean, really don't. Bolshnikes. Boulder Dash. And Poppycock. That's a good, actually, snack. The caramel-covered popcorn. Sometimes with the nuts, sometimes with the caramel. So well, sometimes you feel like a nut. All sweet and salty. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes you don't. Also, you can find us on Instagram at... No Marvelists. I let you have that one, Eddie. Thank you. You can also follow us on Instagram myself, at Peter Melnick, and yourself at... Eddie, 9193. You need to use Instagram more often, though, Eddie. Um, True. Need lessons. I'll teach you. Okay. Also, you can find us in our email bag, themarvelousetgmail.com. Drop us a line, drop us a question, comment, strongly worded letter. Send us pictures, pictures of Spider-Man. Suggestions. Exactly. Episode suggestions. Stuff that you would like us to talk about. And we'll give you a little sneak peek on something that we are looking into doing. We are interested in doing a comic book book club where we will give you the name of a story arc and how you can read it on like Marvel Unlimited, Comixology, your local comic book shop, Amazon, etc. And the next episode, we discuss the story, the artwork, the writing, etc., etc. Etc., Et cetera. There's usually, there's usually three, I'm sorry. Many et ceteras. All the single et ceteras. All the single et anyway. When we do that, we Beyonce. Want... Yes. It took me a little bit. I'm so Jeez. sorry. Wow. What? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to do the dance, too? No. Oh. I can't do... I can't move like that. 
anything's possible if you just believe Eddie. Like like Jagger, no. But we want your suggestions of storylines that you want us to cover on the show. Sure. And will we use them? Possibly. You never know. But stories that you want us to revisit, maybe stories that we've never read that fell under our radar, story arcs, single issues, whatever, send them to our email bag, themarvelists at gmail.com. Also, people, when you're on the internet, go on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Five star if you are ever so inclined. You can also listen to us on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, among many, many, many others. Also SoundCloud. But speaking of Stitcher, go on stitcher.com slash premium and use that promo code at checkout. Marvelists. Get a free one month of Stitcher Premium. And when you use that promo code at checkout, guess what happens? What happens? You help support the show. We get a little bit of a kickback, and it goes into the show. A little bit of a kick in the butt. Uh, Kickback, yes. Kick in the buds, too. Oh. The earbuds. Oh. It doesn't really hurt that bad. Okay. Just hurts if you know you got really good earbuds. But you were thinking about jewels. The family jewels? You're going to run the jewels, Eddie? Um, But. No, but she's an okay singer. (laughs) Okay. But. When you use that promo code, like I said, you get a free one month of Stitcher Premium. And when you're using it, you can listen to a crap ton of content that we discussed earlier in this episode. So when you do it, go to Stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout. Marvelists. And you get a free one month. And after that free one month is over, if you want to stay on, you can cancel, by the way, anytime, whatever. But if you want to stay on, it's only $4.99 a month. Yep. That's right, $4.99. A month, 499 centavos. Exactly. So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.